Welcome to the Park Road Talkback Podcast for July 15th, 2020. Today's podcast is a conversation with Russ Dean, co-pastor at Park Road Baptist Church with Amy Jacks-Dean. I'm Bruce Holliday, Director of Communications at Park Road, and today we will be asking a few follow-up questions on the topic of Russ's sermon from this past Sunday, the title of which was, A Transgender Challenge for Pentecost. A quick reminder, if you've not heard the sermon yet, you can find it at the Park Road website, parkroadbaptist.org, under the Resources tab. So, good morning, Russ. How are you today? I'm well, Bruce. Good to talk to you. Good to talk with you. Could you uh, kind of put this in context for us? Tell us a little bit about um, uh, how this sermon came to be and, um, and why you were preaching it now. Yeah. Um, so this summer is our 20th year at Park Road. Amy and I, 10 years ago, did what we called a top 10. We re-preached 10 sermons from that first decade. We have another decade of preaching. And so we've gone back and uh, looked for themes that are common to our preaching to the pulpit at Park Road, you know, um, the uh, uh, history of Park Road. Um, and so this is one of the sermons that I, I wanted to re-preach. I preached it in 2016, May of 2016. And um, in, in context, then, we had just been through a very contentious time in the state of North Carolina with a bill called House Bill 2, um, which ended up being called the Bathroom Bill. And it was about whether transgender uh, people could use the restroom of, of their choice um, and uh, the, the governor of, of the state at the time led the opposition to that. And um, so the bill was passed that that people had to use the restroom that co- coincided with their birth certificate. Um, and this was uh, an affront to transgender people. Um, and uh, so that was in that was in March. That the bill was passed. Um, I preached this in May. And then that November, uh, Roy Cooper was elected. And with the with the change of uh, the, the governor's mansion, um, that part of the bill was actually rescinded the next year. Uh, um, and so there was a lot of talk that whole year, a lot of uh, controversy. Many Baptist ministers, many ministers were coming out uh, in support of House Bill 2. Um, I had spoken and written several times against it, speaking in favor of transgender rights, that we ought to stand up for the transgender person. Person. And so this was a sermon uh, that I preached that came out of that came out of that um, context. You started off uh, your sermon discussing uh, a story from the book of Genesis about the Tower of Babel, um, where God talks about um, man's attempts to build this tower, and He says, "This is just the beginning. Nothing they choose to do will be impossible." And He takes an action. Could you could you tell us a little bit about? the background of that story. Yeah, let me say this about my preaching in general, Bruce. I have have a good friend, actually a high school buddy who's a member of our church now. John G. has known me for a lot of years. And when when he first started coming to the church and listening to me preach, John G. is a professional musician, and he knows that I love jazz music like he does. And he said to me one day, you know, Russ, your sermons are all like listening to a Thelonious Monk piece. If I stay with you long enough, I'm finally going to get it, but we're going to go, we're going to go around the bend trying to get Get there, um, and I laughed at that. If you know Thelonious Monk's music, you kind of understand what John G is talking about. This is one of those sermons that I probably 
Um, well, if you stay with me, you know, the point to my sermon is always going to be on the last page. Sometimes it's just the last <laughs> paragraph, you know, I, I probably ought to, to get to the point sooner. Um, but I'm, I'm intent on trying to use the text and let the text speak to that issue. And so there were, there were two texts this day. Um, and one from, uh, the, the story of Babel in the Old Testament and the other is the story of Pentecost in the New Testament. Both have to do with language and, and um, and confusion of languages. And so I was trying to look at this text from the Tower of Babel and say, what can this tell us this day about this difficult issue? Um, I was raised to think we read the Bible and the Bible is, you know, the Bible is kind of like reading a newspaper. These are all, you know, accounts of things that literally happened and we're just reading the facts, you know, and we read the facts and there's one point for every story, you know. And so you'd read the story of the Tower of Babel and this was a literal story of people who lived long ago and they built the literal first city in the world and, you know, they were literally building a tower and God destroyed it, you know, and, um, my understanding of scripture doesn't sit well with that anymore, you know, just a, a, a literal kind of rendering. And, and I think that's not what this is. I think that's not what biblical scholars tell us this is, that this is a story um, uh, that is trying to convey spiritual understandings. Um, and maybe you, you might also refer to this story as an etiological story. Etiology means... Uh, uh, giving a background for why something came to be. I think about this like like children. Uh, maybe a child came to his mother one day and said, why is it, Mama, that people speak different languages and that we all look differently? There are people all over the world with different kinds of languages. And she said, well, I don't know. Go ask the rabbi. And he went and asked the rabbi. And the rabbi says, well, let me tell you a story. And here's the story. Um, and he tells the story of the Tower of Babel. Um, and so... I, I really appreciate that Jewish approach to reading Scripture rather than this is literal and I've got to find the one truth out of this thing, the one message out of this thing. What meanings can we tease out of these stories and how how many different ways can they speak to us? And so if you read this story literally, I began by saying we were discussing this story in a, a men's Bible study, a men's book study that we had. Bruce uh, was part of that for a while. You might have even been there that morning. I was. Yeah, and yep. we, we talked about that. And one of the guys said, you know, if God really did this, that ticks me off. You know, and so I started with this um, kind of tension. Let's read this story. Um, and why in the world would God do this thing? And so, you know, the literal story is the people have come together and they were one people and they had one language and they were working together and they were doing amazing things. They were building this city um, and they had built this tower. And it says God came down and looked at this and God said, wow, look at this. They are one people. They have one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. And I'm thinking, how, how do we understand this story? You know, and, and, and I was told as a child, I was told, well, well, we don't know why God did this, but this is just, this was God's plan. And this was the way that God, you know, made, you know, many people on the earth and, um, 
and and there was the arrogance of the people building the tower, and you know um, there was idolatry and all that stuff, um, and, and that just that that doesn't work for me so much. So I want to say, let's look at this story and what might we learn from today. What might we learn in a culture that is filled with many different people? You know, in the city of Charlotte, in our schools, there are something like 120 languages spoken in the school's district, you know, CMS school district. Um, How might we, as a city filled with diverse people who have different ideas, different religious ideas, uh, who speak different languages, what might we learn from this story? And so I was trying to kind of play with this a little bit and tease out some truth from this. especially as it relates to transgender inclusion. And so at the end of the story, I used, I used the metaphor of speaking the transgender language. Um, and, uh, and so that's how I brought that back around. Now, my friend John G. is right. You, had to, you have to stay with me to get to the end of it because we're going to go through this story of Babel and God confusing the languages. And then we're going to go through the story of Pentecost, where, where the story says on that day, people from all over the world were there and they heard the good news of Jesus in their own language. And so there was a way that the languages, they didn't, they didn't speak one language, but the people who came together that day heard the message of God, heard the good news of the gospel in their own language. And so um, those two stories that have to do with the confusion of languages and then coming together where we understand one another's language was a way for me to say in the end, I don't speak the transgender language. I will never speak that. I don't understand that language, but can I listen and learn from the people who speak that language? And so that's how I was trying to wrap these things up. And I admit that there are a lot of jumping off points that people might have chased a rabbit here, there, or yon, but that was kind of the trajectory of the sermon was to talk about language, and then how it might function as a metaphor for us to understand people who are different from us. So, okay, let's, let's chase a few of those rabbits right. then uh, that you've, you've thrown out there for us. Uh, part of your sermon, you said uh, it is possible to have too much of a good thing, that the people of Babel all speaking one tongue and, and uh, working together uh, was not necessarily good. Could, and that, that Threw me for a loop. I'll be honest. Can you uh, explain a little okay. bit of what you were? Th- yeah. Again, trying to trying to uh, glean some truth from this story. You know, you read this story, and it just looks like this ought to be what God wants of us, right? I mean, they were working together. They had one language. What's wrong with all of that? Um, and again, trying to tease out some truth from that. I'm thinking, well, you know. Maybe, maybe too much of a good thing is too much. And um, thinking about the way we use language, um, when we've, just because we have one, just because a people have a language that they understand doesn't mean they get along together. 
that they can communicate together. Good gracious, listen to the way we're using language in our culture today. And just because we speak English and because we understand everybody's language, look at the way we are not understanding one another. Look at social media. And um, so, you know, I mentioned in Germany, there was one language. And yet, what did they what did they use it for? They used it to conform to Hitler's, um, you know, devastating program. And look at the people in North Korea today. And, you know, they're starving to death. And if you listen to them talk, they're praising this dictator who's starving them to death. And so trying to find ways to say, what might we learn from this story that says God needed to confuse their language? Why what could we learn from that? And, and what I was suggesting that we could learn from that is maybe we can learn better from one another when we have to work hard to listen to each other. And so maybe this story of confusing the languages, it's not about God not wanting them to work together, but maybe, maybe what we need to learn from this is that we work better together when we learn to appreciate the diversity of different languages. And I could talk about that in literal terms. We would, we would work better today if we could literally work together with, you know, the Spanish speakers among us. There's this angry anti-immigrant, um, you know, conversation going on about, you know, those people need to learn our language here. Well, what would be wrong with us learning a different, with us learning a different language, you know? Um, so we could talk about that in literal terms. We could talk about that in the metaphorical terms that I was using in terms of transgender. What if we worked hard enough to get to know people who were transgender, that we could sit down with them and that we could learn to understand the language that they talked? Um, several years ago, we had a transgender person to come and speak to our diaconate. Um, it was one of the most fascinating conversations we've ever had. And we learned things from Parker um, that we uh, that we had never known. And, and having a chance to sit and listen to someone who speaks a different language about gender expression, gender identity, uh, about what all this means, um, was one of the most formative uh, and insightful experiences that I've had in the last, you know, 10 years. Um, you talk about the fact that um, things have changed culturally, socially so much in, in our lifetimes that people are um, sometimes having a difficulty adjusting and perhaps seeing that's where some of the communication problems come where it's not within our normal frame of reference. Um, and then you said that people tend to look backwards when they're feeling anxiety. So do you, do you feel people are, things have just changed too rapidly or people are not adapting? What's happening? Yeah. Well, I don't feel like they've changed too rapidly. I, I mean, um, I feel like the changes we have made in terms of accepting gay people, uh, in terms of, of uh, many churches accepting women as pastors in their churches, um, you know, these things are long, long overdue, as I said in the sermon. These are long overdue. And yet much has changed just in the last, in the 20 years that Amy and I have been the pastors of Parker Baptist Church, much has changed. Um, the inclusion of homosexual people um, is is without 
exception now in, in terms of legalities across the country. Uh, obviously, many churches do not accept homosexual people. Um, and, and so uh, there, there, we still have a long way to go. But when you think about what has happened in this culture in the last 20 years and the inclusion uh, of, of gay people, gay people and um, rights to protect gay people, um, and then taking that a step farther to gay marriage, um, which is, you know, very offensive to many people. Um, And so we've done that. And then right on the heels of that, you had this HB2, this bill talking about you know, letting transgender women use the women's restroom, you know, transgender men use the men's restroom. this is a lot of change. And so I understand that there has been a lot of change. And if you've not been exposed to some more progressive thinking, and if you've not lived in a city like the city that in which we live, where there are diverse people and people with um, well spoken about their experiences and their religious differences and their sexual differences and you know their their expressions you know there are a lot of people that just don't have the kind of opportunity that Amy and I have been exposed to and so if you've if you've not had those kind of opportunities there's been a this feels like a world changing whirlwind of uh, you know, these last decade or two that we've lived. Um, and I think that the the response to that, the natural response to change is to, is to try to hold on to what was um, and to go back to what was. And um, I, I made one of the more explicit um, political comments that I've ever made in a sermon. I've uh, over the years talked, uh, uh, we say we say that sermons ought to be political because they have to do with people. Uh, we, we don't often speak in any kind of partisan ways, but um, over the years I have referred to Barack Obama or George W. Bush or something like that occasionally. Um, very occasionally I've mentioned the name of Donald Trump, and, and I referred in this sermon to the campa- his campaign theme, Make America Great Again, which is a looking back. we got to make America like it used to be. Now, I don't know what's the ideal time, you know, what he was talking about, um, but I don't ever want to make America like it used to be. I want to make this country better, and I want to look forward and keep pressing forward. And we have nothing to fear from welcoming transgender people into our conversations and into our churches. Um, we have nothing to fear. We don't need to go back on any of the the, the decisions about welcoming homosexual people, um, about the inclusion of women in various roles in our society, about uh, about uh, marriage inclusion, we don't need to look back. We don't need to, to turn our back on inclusion of uh, of gay people. Um, this sermon came four years ago um, on the heels of the, this HB two, um, and it comes this year, just just two weeks after the Supreme Court ruled to to provide uh, protection, legal protections for transgender and gay people. And that was based on the 1964 civil rights law that said you couldn't be discriminated uh, discriminated upon because of your sex. And um, a case had been brought um, uh, from some a company who wanted to discriminate against a transgender woman. And the Supreme Court ruled that that 1964 case that those words because of sex also protected 
homosexual people and also protected um, transgender people. And so um, we are continuing to move forward as a society. Um, and this was a message to my congregation and those listening that we don't, we don't need to fear. We don't need to be going back to any way it used to be. We, we need to keep progressing and God is with us. God has always been with us when we have made changes like that. And we have learned to understand God differently. We have learned to understand our scripture differently. And so let's don't look back. That's, that's kind of the you, message. You, right. You, and you pointed out in your sermon the fact that uh, you are often confronted with the fact that uh, God created a man and a woman uh, and that um, people will point to that as the as identifying sexuality as purely binary because it's in the Bible, which seemed to bring up the whole issue of uh, contextual interpretation of the Bible versus biblical inerrancy. Do you think that's part of the um, the discussion when people talk about homosexuality and marriage equality and, and transgender rights? Yeah, it's definitely definitely part of that, Bruce. And and I had had. Uh, an email conversation um, because of a piece that I had written about transgender rights. And this was with a friend who's very conservative. Uh, and he, he made the reference, well, uh, all I know is the Bible says God created male and female. And for him, it's very clear. God created male and female. And, and uh, so in my mind, I was referring back to that conversation that I had had. Um, and I say, yeah, I know that the Bible says God created male and female, but um we have, as human society has progressed, as the human race has progressed, we have learned to see the world in different ways. And this will not be the first time that we will have to go back and look at Scripture and learn to read it differently. You know, the Bible literally says, slaves obey your masters. And for many years, preachers, um, especially in the, in, in the south of this country, preached and they quoted scripture and that slavery is right and it's ordained of God because the Bible says so. It's right there. It, it, those words are still in the Bible. But thank God, no one in this country reads those words the same way that they did a hundred years ago. Um, and so we have had to learn to read that text differently. The, word, the words are still there. Slaves obey your masters is still there. And so, yes, I know that the Bible says God created male and female, but we will have to learn to understand as science has exposed to us the broad diversity of the animal kingdom uh, and sexuality in the animal kingdom, um, sexual expression in the animal kingdom, and that includes human beings. And so as we learn about that, we will learn how to hear God created male and female in the same way we have learned, have had to learn to rehear slaves obey your masters. Uh, this is not a topic that most ministers or maybe many ministers would want to undertake. And when you said that, I was wondering what it must be like for you on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning or, or whenever it is you write your sermons. What's going through your mind? Because I know this, this particular topic uh, just fraught with controversy. Uh, and yet you kind of dive right in. How, what, what leads you to do that and, and not take a uh, safer, perhaps simpler path? 
in their sermons. Yeah, our our church has for many, many years talked about the open pulpit. And I remember when Amy and I interviewed 20 summers ago um, for this job, in the interview process, I bet we heard that phrase a dozen times. I'm not exaggerating. We talk about the open pulpit. We want to be challenged from the pulpit. We want, we don't have to agree with our pastor. You know, we want you to challenge us. They said intellectually, socially, theologically. Those were the three words. We want to be challenged. Um, I don't know how exactly this church developed that understanding, but I'm so grateful for it. And so few churches literally, you know, have that kind of understanding that they want to be challenged, even if they disagree with their pastor. So many churches, you know, want to be able to walk in and everybody go out saying, amen, preacher, you know, everybody, you got it right today and we all agree. Um, That's not Park Road. It never has been. And it's never been the intent of Park Road for us to just stand up and preach, you know, what everybody already believes. Let's talk about the difficult issues of our day. Let's be open to talk about them and to see what Scripture might say to us. What might an ancient story like the Tower of Babel and the confusion of languages have to say to us about the transgender issue that is before us today? And so um, Amy and I have inherited, gratefully inherited a pulpit that not only allows um, but encourages uh, a church that encourages us to use the pulpit to speak freely. Now, Bruce, that doesn't that doesn't mean it's always easy. We get challenged a lot from people who disagree, and sometimes that can be tense, and sometimes that can be uncomfortable for us. Um, and yet, not many pastors are afforded the opportunity to speak openly as we are, and we want to be true to this church's history and and true um, to speak a challenging word. And uh, it was Karl Barth, a great theologian from the last century, who said preachers ought to go into the into their study with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other hand, and they ought to bring about bring th- th- these two truths these two stories together. What's happening in the world and what does the Bible say to that? And so we've tried to be true to that even with difficult, uh, complex issues like transgender inclusion. Where do we go from here, Russ? So we, we, we live in a time that uh, there is a lot of conflict on a, on a number of different levels. Our, what is your feeling of the future? Do you believe that we will ultimately learn to communicate with each other and work with each other? despite our differences of all types of languages? Or do we run the risk of having a diversity that ultimately divides us and, and brings us down? Yeah, I, I, am, I am ultimately an optimist, and I think the position of faith says we have to be optimistic. You know, um, I believe God is in the mix in this. Um, and, uh, you know, we could talk about my theology about how God does that. Uh, you know, I don't think God is literally leading the, the world, but I think God is involved. God is in the mix in all of these things we have learned, just like with slavery, just like with uh, women's rights. We have learned um, and we have been able to understand God in a different way, in a bigger way, in a better way. Um, the same is true with the issue of, of sexuality and uh, gender rights, gender inclusion, gender sexual orientation. We will learn to understand the bigness of God. Um, now, I think we are in a very, very difficult and, 
and I think we're in a very dangerous time because we are very divided. We don't have leadership that is helping us to come together. I'm afraid that our national leadership is is uh, is fostering the divide, um, and I think that is a very dangerous uh, uh, thing. But I believe that. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. said that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And I believe there is an arc that God is moving us, that we are moving forward, and that that the bend of that arc will be toward justice and inclusion and love, and that one day um, we will... Now, there will always... I'm sure there will always be issues, you know, that threaten to divide us. Um, but uh, as we progress more and more, we will learn to, to, to listen to one another, to understand one another, and to hear one another's different languages. So while I'm very frustrated at the moment, while I'm quite concerned at the moment to the divide and the dangers that the, that the, the divide among Americans uh, means, ultimately, I, I do believe we will move forward and that the future is, is always bright. Well, Russ, it's always enjoyable chasing these rabbits with you. I appreciate your time today. We had several interesting rabbits today, I guess, didn't we? You always seem to come up with those, and I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. You, you challenge us, and, uh, and I agree with you. Being challenged is a good thing. Bruce, thanks for the conversation. I, I always enjoy it myself. And, of course, thank you to our listeners. We invite you to share this podcast with your friends and family. They can always find it on the Park Road website, or you can listen and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. That's it for this week. From all of us at Park Road Baptist Church, thank you for listening today. Grace and peace to you.